This is Vincent Giles. My co-host, as always, is Bray Grimes, and this is Filtered Noise. This episode primarily discusses an online performance that I did as part of my development residency with Lebowski's here in Melbourne, and the equipment and approaches used in that performance. We also discuss some computer music tools, the use of iPads, and some of our approaches to making music through improvisation. We also have a heap of instances where we forget people's names. Sorry about that. As of this week, we've launched a support function via Coffee. That's ko-fi.com forward slash filtered noise. As always, if you like what we do, subscribe, maybe review us if that's your thing, and feel free to get in touch. Our email address is filteredNoiseCast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at filteredNoiseCast and visit our website for show notes and links for each episode at filteredNoiseCast.wordpress.com. We hope you enjoy this episode of Filtered Noise. So, yeah, what have you been doing this week? Um, yeah, it's I'm much in the way that last week you had one of those weeks where you felt like you didn't listen to much or do much in the way of that. Um, yeah, I had a similar sort of week. I downloaded Max again, which uh, um, we were talking about uh, affordable ways of making music. Mm. And Max is definitely one of them. If you do have a computer, if you do live within that, um, as we said, that um, uh, if you have that privilege to be able yep. to uh, afford a computer, um, any computer, um, Max is definitely one of those tools that is uh, free for the most part. No, well, Max, Max, I think you can get it on a monthly license for about nine dollars a month or something. Oh, I have it for Windows, and I haven't paid a cent. There's a free trial, thirty. But yeah, it is a trial. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, um, it might be extended to ninety days, actually, due to COVID nineteen. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, but it's always pure Which data. Is, yeah, yeah, exact. Well pure data but max again free for 90 days um or um you know pretty reasonable after that i think as well yeah it's not super expensive Mm. yeah but it's a nice way of getting into things um also um vcv rack was another um Mm. free resource that i found that's you know it's a basically simulated modular yeah in that way and without paying you can buy modules um but without paying anything you can actually start a synthetic synthesis <laughs> machine um on your computer yeah for free as well so i haven't played around with that one too much but yeah. I, I know it exists it's out there yeah. yeah i'm actually going to be doing a couple of workshops um at work the next week and the week after on vcb rack yeah right for some Sydney students, so that'll be. Have you got much? Exp- you've got a fair bit of experience with it. Well, I have enough experience with modular synthesis more generally that it's it's pretty self-explanatory in that sense. Um, but I, I ran some workshops uh, last study period at work. Uh, for those listening, I, I'm a lecturer in composition and music production here in Melbourne, and um, I ran some workshops over about five weeks, just weekly workshops building up people's kind of modular skill set in a way. Mm. Um, 
and that was really fun. So I'm going to be doing a shorter version of that for my Sydney friends uh, next week and the week after. Awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. Is that available um, to public or is it through an institution? No, that's, that's through the institute I work for. Right, yep. Um, um, I, I might do a YouTube video on it at some stage, like just an introduction, but I, I feel like I don't know that that's, I don't know that there's much demand for that and there's probably other things that I could ramble about on YouTube. There is, a, yeah, I was going to say there is a fair amount of good resources on YouTube for VCV Rack mm. as far as I know. Yeah. Um, and modular synthesis as well. Um, it's always good to get a second perspective, but I'm with you. Like there's, there's other stuff to ramble about. <laughs> <laughs> so have you yeah. been using Max much? You, you mentioned. Oh no. I'd like, I think on Monday I, I was just like, Oh yeah. 90 day free trial or whatever it was. And it's, it's, I don't know, but yeah, I, it was like, it was, it was a significant amount of time where I was just like, Oh, I'll see if I want to use it again. Mm -hmm. Cause I had used it many a moon ago. Um, right. and in fairly rudimentary ways, yeah. but, um, yeah, it's something that sort of piqued my interest re recently. And I thought, well, there's time to invest now. Yeah. Um, so why not? And if I feel like it's going to be something that I'd be interested in, then maybe I'll go down that path for a little bit and add yeah. it to the many other things. It's pretty, it's pretty good. I, I, I'm, uh, Look, to be honest, I've been moving away from it a little bit myself, um, but that's not any fault of Max's. That's just my interests at the moment. Um, yeah. But it's great because, it, to me, it, it represents that kind of electronic data flow paradigm that modular synthesis also represents, but it's yeah. um, a little deeper in a lot of ways. Yeah. It doesn't have that tactile thing that I really like. Totally. Which is... Um, yeah, it's yeah. Sometimes it does feel a bit um, not cheap, but uh, the experience doesn't feel as uh, authentic mm. as when you you're actually turning a knob when you're dragging, not even necessarily dragging around, but maybe inputting something. Yeah. Um, especially the way that Max is set up is it's very, it, it's not lines of code, so there's no sort of like. Uh, what would you say? It's not risky <laughs> in that way. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's it's very um like it's very um stated. Yeah, in its way. I mean, you have things like randomizers and things like that, but even then, you know that they're going to be random mm. when <laughs> when you put them in. Um, unlike sometimes in modular, you put a patch cable in. You go if I'm if one parameter is you know. Uh, one percent to the the left, it's going to be a completely different sound to if it were one percent to the right. Yeah, yeah, that kind of sensitivity is um, you sort of have to write that in with Max. It's not, it's it's possible. Um, and as I, I'm sure you remember the the gig we did for at Lebowski's back in March, I was using a Max based instrument with a tactile controller. Yeah, um, in that that context, and that was that was great. Yeah, with I think that's the other thing. Um, if you have, if you have the means to control it in that way, then definitely mm. um, it, it does open up a lot of possibilities in Max. Whereas right now, I don't, I don't have any MIDI gear except for <laughs> I've got a MIDI, I've got a MIDI keyboard. That's yeah. the lie. So I do, but I I don't have it on my desk or anything. I've just yeah. got modular gear and 
uh, instruments. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's pretty much. And apart from that, I've been working on, I've been thinking about DFAM more. So we were talking about uh, Stockhausen, Mm. how I think I feel like I just went through that Eve process um, where it's about very uh, 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 nostalgic sort of things and things about care and there's a lot of um, thought that goes into it and now Lucifer's ready to come out again and I'm thinking about the DFAM a lot and <laughs> there's some really crunchy and dirty sounds that are being made, which is fun. Well, I mean, the, the, one of the, the, I don't know if you've seen them, but there's on YouTube for good or ill, I suppose. Um, good in my opinion, but I'm not sure the, the I'm not going to talk about politics actually, but regardless, <laughs> there's a bunch yeah. of um, lectures that Stockhausen did, I think in the UK in the seventies up on YouTube on electronic mm. music. I don't know if you've seen those. Uh, maybe. I think I've seen some of them. Yeah. But, it, or some of it. There's this great thing because it strikes me that the DFAN has potential, the potential to do like really wonderful, intricate um, synthesis that you could then record and speed up and slow down to create new timbral um, qualities in that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to do some more rudimentary patching um, in the recent weeks but to so bizarrely enough they just have like the most intricate results <laughs> a lot of the time mm. so um for those of you who aren't familiar with the dfam it has two um oscillators um and frequency modulation and it's basically a drum machine in one way it's very much of that ilk anyway it lends itself towards that sort of feeling anyway and it has noise and it's got external ends two wave shapes on each oscillator blah 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 don't need to know that but one thing that's really interesting is the the tiny knobs at the bottom which aren't quantized um can control a variety of things because they're routable to any parameter so just routing both of those to just the pitch on each oscillator you now have like a, a paraphonic eight-step sequencer. Oh, cool. Um, that you can just, and because it has um, sequential pitch modulation, you can basically write a blues <laughs> with Whoa. just the settings on uh, either the sequential pitch modulator uh not running the sequence, running what you've patched it into, mm -hmm. running it into VCO2 only or into VCO1 and 2, and then switching the hard sync on or off. So that's been really interesting to play around with this week because it brings back form to it, which is great because now I know that I don't have to use that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's, that's great. Yeah. Interesting yeah. way to do things as well. Like the... So can I just ask the, the sequential pitch modulation? That's what you said, right? Does that oh, mean? Sorry, I've sequence of pitch modulation, not right. sequential pitch modulation. But, so it's running off the the pitch of the sequence. Yeah. So you can take the pitch out from the sequence to modulate mm. some other property. Can how many sequence tracks does it have? Sequence of tracks does it have? Yeah. Uh, it's got so it's got a track for pitch and a track for velocity, and it's got eight steps. 
And do, uh, can you decouple those? So can that, yes. can you run the pitch separately to the velocity? Yeah, the pitch as standard runs separate to the velocity. That's it. Um, so you can take the velocity out and have that controlling the pitch of, say, VCO2 yeah, as well. So, so you could have, like, the, the velocity parameter controlling or running at, like, quarter of the speed of the pitch, and thus you could get... Is that oh, right? Uh, no, so the sequencer itself, the tempo is locked uh, okay. to right. it's is locked, but you can take the the velocity out and have it run the advanced clock, for example. Yeah. Okay. So it could run at different intervals. Yeah. To, cool. Yeah. And I, so, I guess or you, or you could divider. get it to control the tempo rather. Sorry. Yeah. And I guess if you had a clock divider, an external clock divider, you're a clock divider or something like that, you could then set the velocity, uh, send the velocity out and then divide its output to then control something at a slower rate back into the DFAN if you want to. That's right. You could also, um, like, that's the other thing, you could quantize all of those as well. Mm. So if you took the pitch or velocity out and quantized it through um, through a module uh, to whatever you want to quantize it to, uh, say a major scale, or you could quantize it to a harmonic series, or um, you could even quantitize, quantize the, uh, the rhythmic values um, or make a 16-step quantizer or 16... Mm -hmm division quantizer if you want yeah. to yeah. like the possibilities are endless there and then you could run them back into the oscillators as well mm. well it's interesting so we were talking about the um o control uh a couple of weeks back and that's if i remember right that's only a four-step sequence isn't it uh i think it's an eight step eight step maybe it was something else that i saw maybe it was the subharmonicon then that I was yeah, that's two, at, four, two, yeah, two four, four steps, steps, right? And it's yeah. just amazing what you can do with such limitations. I, I, we've talked about this before, but I, I love those sorts of, oh, actually, personally, I find them <laughs> restrictive. And I'm, yeah. It's because I don't work with step sequences very much. Um, mm. The Beat Step Pro, but I very rarely use it as, as a sequencer because I just don't mm. tend to sequence stuff very much. Maybe I should yeah. make that a challenge to myself. I'll just sequence a bunch of modules. Um, yeah, just for the, the shits and giggles of it, but um, I, it's just an interesting um, limitation, and, and but kind of exploiting that limitation is such an artistically rigorous and artistically rewarding thing to hear other people do, <laughs> like you. Yeah, well, yeah, I, well, <laughs> I mean, I'm not even. I'm not even necessarily as advanced at it as some others, but even at the same time, like when you're talking about that, the subharmonicon, <laughs> it's not no secret. If you listen to last week's episode, I am a fan. Um, have you even got one I yet? don't have. Ah. No. <laughs> um, uh, it's on the list. It's on the the list, but it's moved its way to the top of the list. Which Just is sell, sell a kidney or something. You know what? What do we need kidneys for? Yeah, well, that that's it. I'm I'm thinking about. I'm actually genuinely thinking about selling gear. Um, there is bits of gear. I'm not. This isn't an ad for my gear. Um, but also the one thing about um, modular in particular, going back to the subharmonicon, is those four steps because they're um, subtractive steps based on that rhythmicon idea. Mm. You can control them through an LFO as well. Yeah, because they're already quantized as well, so they're always going to fit roughly but 
they might not repeat themselves very yeah. often depending on your LFO shape. Like if you have a random LFO shape. Yeah, which, you it jump you, around them. Yeah, which if you've got a mother, for example, like just bring it back to that set of gear two, the assignable output can be a, a random um, line as well. So you assign that to one of the pitch divisions and or the rhythmic divisions of the sum harmonicon and you get these pretty, in, not infinite, but be pretty random results at least. Fantastic. Mm. Um, yeah, that's cool. So, and I, I don't know if this is true for the DFAM, but um, as I saw with the sub harmonicon when I looked after it, looked into it after last week's chat, um, it looks like you can trigger the step movement through external sources as well or from internal sources. Yeah. Can you, can you do that with a DFAM? Uh, it's a bit of a workaround, but yes, you can. Cool. Yeah. Because that, that yeah. stuff is really interesting. I mean, one of the things that, um, Jumping back to Max temporarily, one of the things that I first, one of the first things I started to do when I started programming in Max and PD was um, look at steps not as sequences, but as triggers for other events or other strings of yeah. events. So yeah. um, if you have a step that sends out a, in the modular terms, if you sent out a, a trigger signal or a gate, I guess a short gate then that could then fire off a sequence of other events or activate a different sequencer to fire off a bunch of events and so on and so forth. So you can control form from a master sequencer um, in that sense. And I find that sort of sequencing really interesting and mm. potentially exciting. And, I, and as a quick side note, I don't know if you know this um, or if it's relevant to you, but if you have a DC coupled audio interface, you should be able to send audio out of VCV rack into your modular gear as well as control voltage. Hmm. Interesting. And yeah. I don't, you need the right type of audio interface, but um, if you have a DC coupled audio interface, you can uh, control your modular gear from VCV rack. That's interesting. Not using MIDI as well. Yeah. That, well, yeah. MIDI is an interesting thing to me in another way, but um yeah, that's that's very interesting. I haven't played around with VCV rack enough, to be honest with you. We can do it from um, Max or from a digital audio workstation. Yeah, as well. or, yeah, yeah. Um, and again, I probably don't have the right interface for that. I'd use a mixer as my interface at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, no, which I mean, it's kind of, well, it's kind of interesting. Like just interfaces that you wouldn't think. Of. Okay, so here's one that I found out recently: the audio output on an iPad is DC coupled. Yeah. Right. What? So you can get LFO apps for your iPad and yeah. just using a normal stereo audio cable that's split into two mono um, jacks, you can send two LFOs out from your iPad into your modular gear. Huh. Yeah. That's really interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, see, I've, I've put my – I have put the OPZ through modular gear before, mm. but it's just been playing the – the audio into like the external yeah. audio input yeah. of a mother or something like that. Um, and I did it with pocket operators when I was fooling around with them, which is a while, while ago, yeah. run the pocket operators into the mother and you could also clock them as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that's interesting. I, yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way, but an LFO app for an iPad, I, yeah, that's really interesting yeah. and cool because I, sometimes I feel like I would really love a, LFO, 
but yeah. <laughs> just an extra one. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I'd like, I mean, I haven't done any tests with it. I've got a couple of LFO apps that I haven't yet mm -hmm. used. So I'll, I'll mm -hmm. run some tests and I'll report back next week if I get the chance. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to get an extra LFO for the O Coast, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting too. Yeah. And I'd just see what I can do with that. What's cool is, is one of the LFOs that I've got for my phone, you can actually, it runs up to fast enough speeds that you can hear the output from my phone speaker. So that it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting time, but I mean, most LFOs will go up to what, 40 or 80 Hertz or something like that anyway. So you should be able to hear them, but um, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of, kind of interesting. So that's, yeah. my, that's my story. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Speaking of stories, on Sunday you had a live performance at Lebowski's. Which sure I was, did. Um, very fortunate to hear most of. I had to duck off in the last five or so minutes, I think. Yeah. Um, but I heard the last five minutes that you just put out on Bandcamp. Oh, cool. Um, so I, I feel like I didn't miss all that much. I just didn't get to see it live. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but having said that, the live the live performance of it was fantastic. Like the the visual setup was amazing. Um, talk us through. Well, first of all, talk us through what you used okay. for, for the for the gig because I'm always about gear. So cool. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I think uh, in the show notes we'll put a link to the Bandcamp um, and possibly the Facebook Live feed. Of course, um, yeah, so that people can kind of get a sense of what I'm talking about here. But um, so talk through the visual aspect first, because I think that's kind of interesting in its own right. Um, I was using OBS, which is open broadcast software, um, to do the stream, which is pretty standard. Most people that start stream on YouTube or Facebook or Twitch or whatever, we use OBS or some variant thereof. Um, mm -hmm. And I had my iPhone 8, um, which the camera for which can do up to 4K, and I was running it at relatively high quality. Um, and my iPad Pro, which can also do up to 4K on the, the rear-facing cameras. Yep. And I used both of those as webcam feeds into OBS or as camera, external camera feeds um, into OBS. And that allowed, within OBS, you can do some video filtering. So I just did a bit of kind of cheap video filtering to make, to overlay those two images um, so you could see me facing a camera as if I was facing an audience, but also see a camera feed looking at the gear, uh, which in an internet set, obviously in a live, uh, uh, an acoustic live setting, uh, by acoustic, I mean in, in an environment like a venue, Yeah, the audience isn't going to see your gear. That's not important, but I feel like yeah. for electronic music via the internet, that's actually kind of cool to see, especially because I was live patching and I was doing all this, it was entirely improvised. Um, I was doing live work in that sense. So I feel like that adds to the experience rather than just seeing somebody sit there bobbing their head every now and then or, you know, twitching <laughs> at a gesture or, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, and then I was doing some live coding with title cycles as well. Um, and so I had a different setup in, OP, uh, in OBS, which had, the iPhone feed plus a desktop capture of the live coding environment. And that was overlaid on top of each other as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that was really cool. Uh, the hardware that I was using, so the, or the sound generating material or sources were tidal cycles um, and a sample library that I got from the creator. Um, the 
uh, whose name is Alex McLean, just as a shout out to Alex because he's a legend. Um, Sorry, McLean, was it? Alex McLean, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I started with that and did, there was some, also a, a piano synth in there. Um, but then I used the, the main bits of gear that I was using were the uh, Coma Electronic Field Kit and Field Kit FX. Yep. Great bit of gear. I've been looking up them. Well, I mean, you introduced me to the Field Kit and Field Kit FX mm. a very, very long time ago. I think probably pretty close to us talking about modular gear for the first yeah. time. I think. Well, the, you, the, you would just got the Field Kit. Yeah, the Field Kit was my maybe second, it was my first bit of proper, Euro, uh, no, second bit of proper Eurorack gear. Um, although I have the standalone units rather than the Euro rack mounted units mm. um, so that I can not take a whole rack to things. I can just take bits and pieces. And I kind of like that. I like the idea of having separate separate stuff that I can, rather than disassembling a whole rack and making smaller racks to take out, whatever, anyway. Um, they are a standalone piece of equipment and also you can Euro rack them if you need to. Yeah, well, I could, I guess, pull them out, but the power supplies are modified for um, non-Euro rack um mm. standards so um but you can buy the, the they do come in either a standalone or a euro rack version so mm. um i opted for the standalone because they come in a nice wooden case and that has some uses in its own right um but i, I haven't really um mm. although no that's not true i used the lid from one in that performance to um rustle some marbles around and make some bang yeah. on desk and stuff so i used the, the field kit i used as a source um of uh so that you can get or you can build yourself but i, I just bought the pre-made ones a bunch of sensors uh for the field kit that run in through its analog or digital inputs which is a a really kind of rustic um input and i was using the electret microphone sensor that it comes with which is the worst sound like you would not want to use that for anything serious it's such an awful sounding microphone as a microphone but as a sound generator with voice or with anything else i used voice but with voice stunningly cool really gritty really um distorted really like real gritty so i used that with the field kit um and then i also used the two two contact microphones that were taped to my desk into a jar <laughs> and yeah. um agitated objects inside the jar and on my desk to send sound in um that that was really the only use i used the uh, i used them both the, the combination of the two as a stereo mixer um that was actually what i was using the two of them for because they they have fake stereo output so i just used one each and make a stereo output and and that gives me eight channels of mixer as well yeah um to and then it also sort of normalizes the output volume into a normal mixer so it takes it down from the 10 or so volts that Eurorack would probably, depending on the module output, um, down to roughly standard line levels. It's not entirely, but it's uh, <laughs> closer to line levels than uh, running it straight out of an output from a module. So, um, so I did that, uh, those two bits of here, and I used the Mutable Instruments Clouds 
Um, mm. I don't have a mutable instruments one. I've got a clone. I'm not sure. I can't remember the make that, that it is. Um, actually, um, you, you might know. I was going to say it's um, from um, Modular Addict. Do the kits. Sounds right. Um, yeah. Um, let me find it real quick. It's mutated clouds, um, right. which is mutated to a whole heap of uh, mutable knockoff PCBs, basically, with the disclaimer of uh, don't go to mutable and ask for advice or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but yeah, they're, they're great. If anyone's interested in building modules, it's, and you look at mutable and think maybe, maybe I can't afford those uh, mutated um, off modular addict to a, okay. a number of uh, mutable modules. Cool. I just, I just looked at mine's an Oscillosaurus one. Um, oh, okay. And I'm not sure. I, I don't. I should look into it because it's different firmware that you can get. I'm pretty sure mine's running the stock firmware, um, mm. and the the firmware flashing procedure looks in, intimidating. So I, I'm not in a rush to go there. But yeah, so I used the clouds, um, and I honestly had no idea what I was doing with the clouds. I hadn't read the manual. I only got the module a couple of weeks ago. Hadn't that was mm. the second time I'd used it. <laughs> mm. Had no idea what I was doing, but I loved the output from it, especially with the voice. Um, yeah, and the electric microphone that was for me that was one of my favorite parts of the performance actually. Um, and I used the Make Noise O Coast, um, yeah, and I used uh Critter and Guitari Organelle as well. Yeah, it was a beautiful set. Thank I you. I think, um, I've heard, I've heard you sort of progress with this idea of, um, of, well, it's sort of, I, I think I've only seen them in parallel. Like I think I've seen uh, modular stuff that you've done and electronic stuff that you've done. Like computer-based stuff, you mean? Sorry, yeah. yes, and computer-based things that you've yeah. done. And I think I've been on stage with you on a number of occasions where you've used uh, one or the other or both. Yeah. Um, and the – but I – don't think I'd been exposed to as much of it um, live where it's all encompassing and yeah. It's solo. Yeah. Um, and to hear a lot of it come together was um, really profound and interesting. I thought there was part, parts of it where I was just like, there's there, there was such a wash of noise that I could only sit back and enjoy it mm. um, because it was all encompassing and it was like a, it was like sitting under a flannel cape or something. <laughs> I like that. Um, uh, of, nice. Oh, well, it was, it was beautiful and it was, it was nice and it was a bit scratchy and it was like, but it was very comforting and mm. very warm sounding. Um, and then there's other parts where they, the, the I don't want to use the word harsh because that's all, often got a negative connotation, mm. but it was gritty. Mm. And it was crunchy, maybe. I like um, the word crunchy. I, I I tried to add some extra crunch when I um, took the so the audio that I used to make the Bandcamp release was just the Facebook Live audio, which was awful quality. Um, yeah. And so it's extra gritty. It's extra crunchy in the Bandcamp release compared to the Facebook Live stream because I compressed the hell out of it and uh, <laughs> you know awesome. just brought out that crunch. 
Thank you for that um, description of my work. That was, that was really nice. That's the first time I've played live uh, solo in many years, actually. Yeah. I think the last time I saw you do it was at one of the first Tilda festivals. Yeah. Maybe the one at AIM. Yeah, 2016, I think that was. Yeah. Um, I don't think I even played like, uh, solo then, though. No, you played, you played with me. I felt like you did something else maybe with Alice um, Bennett, who's a flute player, obviously, um, and another wonderful electronic musician as well. Mm. Um, and oh, I'm struggling to think of another name but um, played maybe viola, viol de gamba. Oh, Lizzie, well. yeah. Lizzie, well, yeah, you, Lizzie you were, in, you were in that performance, though, as well. I felt, yeah, maybe I played <laughs> so much I forgot I was in it. There was, the, there was a performance um, I did with Lizzie, just me and her at the same yeah, one, was it. Um, which was, I don't know if she was playing violin or... Um, a digamba or some descript. I can't remember. Um, mm. That was a, that was a yeah, structured improvisation piece of mine. That was that was all um, computer based. But yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, I think that's the yeah uh, yeah that you could be right. Maybe could have been. I don't know. That was a, to to me four years ago. It was quite a long time ago. That was that was another life to me. That was so long. Ago. Yeah. Like yeah. I know four years is not that long, but I was thirty then. I'm thirty four now. It's like yeah. That's that is a, it's half a decade almost. Like that, that's a. And it was in yeah. January, so it's it's four and a half years. So. Yeah, Tilda's been. I think one of those festivals that I've done something so very different every year. That's true. You really have. I, I, I think the first year I played with uh, Dave. Um, Seedsman. Dave Seedsman. Yeah. Um, which is always chaotic. <laughs> and totally. yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's so often not a script <laughs> with that. With, yeah. Yeah. With Dave. But then sometimes he can be really specific and there's sort of a language as well. Mm. There's, there's a real John Zorn thing going on with him, or at least there was back then. I think there still is to some yeah. degree. I don't think it will ever leave him, which is a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, definitely. Yeah. And one year I decided to take on a 45 minute or so solo trumpet thing mm. that was a really hot summer in uh testing grounds yeah I one of the, the makeshift rooms and i can't i can't ever remember sweating so much playing the trumpet <laughs> um but yeah that was that was interesting and i think i've done some electronic stuff there too yeah um, and i've played with you obviously i've been yeah. lucky to play with some some of my favorite improvisers at those festivals as well yeah and for anyone listening yeah. tilda was a festival that um, me and Alice Bennett, who was mentioned before, um, created around 2014. Um, so it's, it will be in its nearly eighth year coming up. Um, the, the next one, I think, will be in 2021. Um, I've largely stepped back from it now. I don't, I don't have too much to do with it anymore. But um, Alice and new people, are, I think Phoebe Green is now involved. Um, Great, quite a lot. So yeah, it's it's uh, got some fresh ideas and fresh things going on behind the scenes. I'm still involved, but it's not as much as I was. 
Yeah. Um, going back to your performance too, um, mm. I, I really wanted to ask was, was um, what was, uh, I'm trying to think of a polite way to ask it <laughs> because I feel like it's something that I get asked and sometimes I just go, I hate getting asked that question. But, um, <laughs> I'm excited already. <laughs> usually the question is something like, what were you thinking yeah. doing that? And to me, that's like the most offensive way of putting that question. Especially in your conversation. It almost yeah, sounds sure. like you've, yeah, especially it sound, makes it sound like you've uh, created some sort of car crash. <laughs> but was there a, a theme or an idea that you um, had from the outset that you were um, going to at least start with or carry through the entire set? Sort of. I I was playing, I did a rehearsal run in the afternoon and I did a, a, another one the day before. And because that was also the first time I'd done a live, proper live performance, live coding in any capacity. And it was pretty minimal what I did with the title cycles then. But um, the I, I wanted to start with code and because I don't know if this is the right way to phrase it but because Lebowski's is so associated with jazz in that's kind of um broader context and not in my experience not so much um electronic and noise music I, mean, I think that's one of the interesting things about them selecting me for this residency um is, is my work is quite different to what I've experienced at Lebowski's. Even the stuff that, that like I played with you doing the Stockhaus and Alston Siebentagen um, yeah. thing. I'd, actually, I don't know if, I, if you actually played with you, but you curated the, the thing. I can't remember that was a while ago. That was like 2015, 2015 or 2016 or something as well. Yeah. That was uh, uh, separate to Lebowski's. But oh, it was, oh, it was too. That was just yeah. across street. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Um, my, my bad. Um, oh, that's all right. I, I think I must have done card use um thingy what's it what's it called treatise oh was treaties that at, um, no that was a church the northcote uniting church it was too i'm just trying to think i've done like a couple of lebowski things and i can't remember what they are anyway it doesn't really matter um yeah. it's it's more that i associate lebowski's with uh jazz and even jazz in a really broad sense like not mm. not particularly traditional jazz or anything like that that I just associate with jazz and um, the broader idiom that, that is jazz. Um, and so I wanted to start this performance with some kind of way to ground people who might be expecting something vaguely along the lines of that. So uh, it was not that, but it was at least, uh, it, was, it was a drum sound, a kick drum sound. Yeah, and yeah. A, and a piano sound. And that was my starting and ending point, actually. Mm. Um, and so I wanted to start there and basically just... So I pre-wrote that. I actually pre-coded that um, ahead of time. Um, I, I played with it in the afternoon. I enjoyed what I came up with. But I modified it uh, as I was playing with it uh, in the performance a couple of times and then switched it off and, and just went... To the modular and other gear. Um, so I just wanted to start with something that might be a little more familiar, not jump straight into the noise and the feedback and the, you know, all of that kind of um, guttural, growly vocals and whatever else I was doing. Um, and I 
but beyond that, I didn't really have a theme now or, or an idea. It was more of a, um, I had kind of set up a few things. I set up the contact microphones the day before um, with the intention of using them. I, I dug out the electric microphone with the intention of using it, but I wasn't sure what I'd use it for at that point. Um, I just wanted to have them there so I didn't need to go diving through boxes of equipment to find them because I just had an inclination that I would probably use them. Yeah. And, but whether that was like banging a drumstick on a cup and you're sending that through the microphone yeah. or using marbles, which is what I ended up doing, you know, glass jar to, to stimulate the contact microphones. Um, and well, then, it's still a gig in that sense as well. Like you've got yeah. to take your instrument. Absolutely. And to find what, in this case, to find what that instrument is when you've mm. when there's so many options. So, um, yeah, that was, that was the, that was my theme, I guess, was starting with the live coding and something vaguely familiar. It almost sounded like EDM or not EDM, but like, um, it, it did have sort of like that glitchy IDM vibe yeah, to it yeah. at, at the beginning um, and maybe a little towards the end, but I feel like that, that did suck me into it as well. Um, that was what I was hoping. Because I, I, I was, I mean, I don't really have that pretense with Lebowski's in the fact that I kind of, I mean, I ran it and I know that I ran it as a jazz event. Mm. So we, we always um, promoted it as improvised music. Yeah. But so often would it fit within usually students studying improvisation at uni, which yeah. meant that for, for the most part, they were working out of a syllabus that kind of lent, lent itself towards jazz mm. particularly. Um, and a lot of the time I felt like we, we stretched those paradigms within, within um, acoustic settings mainly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it sort of developed, you see the introduction of synthesizers and things like that as well. Yeah, right. I don't know um, the all that much, but... Yeah. Uh, look, I think you'd be, you'd be safe to say that it is it's at least very deeply rooted in jazz. Like most of the people <laughs> yeah. who run it are j- people who studied jazz at university. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I really did think that, like, the... the from the outset, there was something there that I was um, I was very sucked into, very attracted to, and that's why I did feel kind of uh, welcomed and warmed, and you know that's where that analogy came from. That whole, uh, it, you know, it was a very cozy sort of um, setup, yeah, and then awesome. it got really crunchy and really, you know, the, all the things I love about music. That yeah, that, yeah. Um, you know, we wanted to say energy intention after these, um, an mm. intention after these last few weeks. And I feel like the intent was for me, at least if that's the sort of, uh, premise you had to the performance, um, was very, very, very much actualized accurately from Thanks. my perspective. Thanks. Yeah. Glad you yeah. enjoyed it. I think it seems people seem to be digging it. Um, so that's cool. I'm, I'm keen. Like I'll do more of that. I, I'd like to do this sort of stuff when venues reopen properly as well, and uh, I'll be hunting around. Mm. It was fun. It was it was really fun. Yeah, I I and I loved the the performative aspect of it. I know we don't talk about video all that much um, on it, but the there is something about seeing 
the code and the multiple camera angles mm. um, and now being able to, as a performer, to be able to um, access those sorts of things and bring them to your performance um, <laughs> through a, um, a pandemic, basically, where you've just been <laughs> inspired to actually uh, be ingenious. I mean, you'd already been doing it, but um, to be able to bring um, or rethink what your performance actually means. Yeah, um, totally. I'm kind of already sick of people singing in front of a camera yeah. playing a guitar. <laughs> I was sick of it before, like, <laughs> but now there seems to be a lot more of it. And one of the things about live um, electronic music, um, especially improvised electronic music that's so attractive is um, a lot of the times it does look so small and we often mm. conflate small and compact with simple, mm. but it's not. Yeah, totally. And you, yeah, you definitely get to see that was a great window into that. That was still artistic in its intent. Thank you. I, I, I was thinking about it afterwards when I watched the video back, and I've, I must admit, narcissistically, I've watched it about five times since Sunday, and it's <laughs> Wednesday now. So, you know, yeah. that's, that's uh, kind of fun. But um, I was thinking that when I do do a live performance in the not internet world, I'll probably actually duplicate the same setup anyway and do the multiple camera feeds mm -hmm. and if possible, project it behind the performance. Because I think it's quite an interesting yeah. um, visual aid. I know visuals are a big thing in electronic music performance now. Um, my, my friend Mitch, who is bribery, who does them yeah. to the, the bookends, the show um, has some really amazing visual setups that he uses and um, when he does go back to playing live, there'll be some fantastic um, old technology used as the visuals and, and analog mixing controlled through control voltage. It's wild, his new setup. Um, but I, I kind of like the idea, you know, the, it's, in the live coding world, you often get live coded visuals at the same time projected. Mm. Um, you might do it yourself when you might collaborate with somebody to do it. And I'm kind of keen to not do that and to have something else that's the, like even if I'm doing that like I did on, on Sunday, to mm. project something else on top of, to, to overlay the images. And I'm, I'd be keen to explore projecting um, multiple camera feeds of a, of a, a patched or otherwise electronically performed performance behind myself on, on stage. Yeah, I, I actually like that idea too. The live coding of visuals, um, I off, I've seen a, a fair bit of it. I used to I used to support a band called Virtual Proximity um, that was um, a saxophone player from Adelaide whose name escapes me at the moment, but I've can see his face and I know his first name is James, but I can't, I'm really sorry. I forgot your surname if you're listening, but virtual proximity <laughs> were a duo of um, this uh, woodwit multi-read player um, who operated some electronics as well um, mm. and a live um, visual coder. Mm -hmm. And um, that was the first time I'd actually seen anything like that. And as, uh, as I saw more and more of it, I realized that it, it's, it's sometimes can be really, really limiting. <laughs> and I find that because I don't have control of it necessarily, not that control is necessary, but be, 
because of the visuals going on, I either influenced by what they're doing and I don't want to influence what they're doing a lot of the time, mm. but I kind of feel like it does. It's always sort of has to complement itself yeah. as a performance. Yeah. And a lot of the times virtual proximity was one of the examples where it actually worked. And I felt like it was always very cohesive and that worked together really well. Um, but since then I've seen a lot of performances where I'm like, wow, this is, I don't understand it. Mm, um, you don't know that gets like, the link. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just looking at something while listening to something else. Yeah. Um, I always loved live painting and live mm. art in other ways. Yeah. Um, bringing, yeah. Sorry, go on. No, no, I, I, I just had a, a brain remembrance. You keep going. I was going to say one of the things that that um, that night of Stockhausen that we did, I invited a whole heap of theatre performers and other mm. uh, performing artists to interpret the works as well. It was a multi multidisciplinary evening, mm. um, but working all from the same text, which yeah. I find is often kind of the the missing link with mm. a lot of those sorts of performances. Yeah, the, the thing I remembered was um, that Shane Van Den Van der Van Den Van der Acker. Yeah. Um, did the painting for the performance that I was part of. And it was just amazing. It was such a cool experience. And I also yeah. had Elnaz, whose name, so now I can't remember, sorry, Elnaz, um, dancing at the same time. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do another one one day. And it is a great text to work from mm. as well. Um, but maybe I was thinking, you know, we did card you a couple of, a couple of years later maybe or the same year. I think it was the same um, year. Yeah. Um, and was that run by Ian Parsons? It was. Uh, yeah. What a legend. Yep. Again. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, you've made it. <laughs> <laughs> the three-minute thesis is one thing, but being on the Filtered Noise podcast two weeks in a row. <laughs> uh, doctor, um, Dr. Ian, Dr. Ian. Yeah, Dr. Ian Parsons. Um, but, yeah, I feel like there's a couple of those texts out there that um, – could be really interesting to to have a crack at. Mm, I agree. I've been looking uh, at some of the Pauline Oliveira stuff actually over the last couple of years and there's some interesting text stuff there too. Mm, yeah. Or even like encouraging people to make something as well. Totally. I think I think that that's something that I'd really like to encourage as well. So maybe look, maybe it'll happen later down the line. Maybe. Mm. Um Bray, yeah. I, I know you, have you been listening to much this week? What, what apart from my live stream? Apart from Vince's amazing live stream, <laughs> um, there's, um, I really haven't. Um, a few things I did listen to is I sort of, I was still listening to, following on from last week, um, Stockhausen, Susan Chianci, Chian, Chiani. I can't ever say her last name. I don't know how to pronounce it. Cool. <laughs> link yep. in the I'm show gonna, notes. <laughs> link, yeah, link, link in the show notes. Thank, thank the, thank you. Thank, yeah, yeah. Thanks, thank you to me for the show notes. Um, <laughs> so I've been listening, listening to a lot of that, um, and keeping on that sort of theme of um, historical listening. Mm. I would, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, uh, I don't think it's necessarily important or anything like that. It's just something that I'm really enjoying at the moment. Is how. Um, Electronic music, I think, is one of those things that 
um, we often associate it with something that's really current and really modern, and it has been around for a very, very, very long time. Um, it's been around as long as jazz has been around. Totally. And jazz has gone through so many multiple iterations, which have been written so uh, well, maybe, maybe not accurately, but they've been written into history and marked by these, you know, these big events like traditional jazz and bebop and cool jazz and mm. fusion and the current wave of jazz and avant-garde and things like that. Whereas electronic music don't doesn't have that, but it's actually quite clear that there has been a interesting progression of how it's been um, earmarked in history. Yeah, and. Um, one of the interesting things we were talking about Hindemith last week and how he used it very traditionally, you don't even have to skip forward, you know, 20 years. And there's the, the wave between Hindemith and the, the next like level of composers, Evangelisti and Scala and oh, sorry, Oscar Sala mm. um, and others. Uh, they're completely, <laughs> they completely stripped what they, what, it was before yeah. <laughs> and and have reinvented it. And I feel like jazz has like a common elementary sort of thing up until maybe 1959, 19 and early sixties. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, the, then a lot of the time after that is, um, is stripping those elements, anything that's new anyway. And I mean, Current jazz today is like you observe all the elements up to 1959 and then it's a free-for-all. That's kind <laughs> of the attitude. Which, yeah, sure. Yeah, whereas I like to pref- I prefer to think about it as jazz started in 1959. Interesting. So, yeah. Well, that, that, that whole thing, like it, at least in certain times at certain institutes, you get this idea that jazz doesn't exist after bebop, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much... Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what a number of institutions. I mean, I think that that's kind of a rudimentary takeaway that a lot of people that a lot of people um, do observe from that. But you hear a lot of current jazz now, and it doesn't sound like like it sounds like that is the case. If you go and study jazz at an institution, yeah, you'll yeah. be able to play bop. Yeah, but. Um, I think a lot of my favorite jazz existed after that point. Yeah, I'm not right. saying that um, pre 1959 um, there was no good jazz because there definitely is. Like I listened to a lot of that, yeah. but I feel like it hit its stride in the late late 50s and early 60s and became um, what it was meant to be. And then a mm. lot of people take all the elements from pre 1959 and apply it to to the music and call it jazz now, whereas the idea of it existed beyond 1959. And yeah, I feel like sure. the idea and intention of it is what I bring to when I play electronic music yeah. and what I, when I play guitar or when I play uh, classical music, even I want to say I have like the same attitude and intention that I would associate with post 1959 jazz. Yeah. And back to my point, I feel like electronic music, there's uh there's elements of, of that sort of thinking and that intention that carries through. Um, and, and now it's kind of like, again, the, the conservative form of electronic music is like what I would consider mainstream EDM and hip hop, Mm. um, where the, a lot of the elements that I enjoy, uh, in, 
in electronic music have been stripped of it and it's much that 1920s thinking where it's just like we're going to do the same thing we're going to do a beat that we love and exists in from this era and we're just going to do it on an 808 or whatever and that's that's not the idea of electronic music to me. It doesn't but, have that, that yeah, curiosity. That's what that, what that about you? Yeah, I, I get what you mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I've listened to two things. I do actually just want to do a quick slight deviation because this is on my mind on my list. And um, I just want to, because I feel like putting some sound into the podcast. Ah, oh, damn, I can't do it. Uh, let me just try something. Tell me if you hear that. Did you hear that synth sound? No. No, cool. Never mind then. I'll uh, insert it out in post-production. But um, just as a quick one that might be interesting to some listeners, Valhalla, the digital signal processing company, released today or yesterday or maybe the day before, um, their supermassive reverb for free. It is oh. such a cool reverb, yeah. It's a really nice reverb plugin. It's quite experimental. Um, I was getting some nice Vangelis kind of Blade Runner sounds out of it before we started recording and um, just with a basic synth patch in Ableton Live. So um, for a digital plugin, awesome free plugin that I just wanted to mention. Um, as for what I've been listening to, uh, two, two things, big rotation this week. I'm yet to purchase one of them. It's on my... Um, Bandcamp shopping cart, but um, <laughs> I've been streaming it in the meantime, um, which is Felicia Atkinson, who's a French artist who I hadn't come across. I, I stumbled across this by a different album from the same record label, um, with the record label Shelter Press, who I think Felicia is one of the founders of or the founder of. But the album's called Everything Evaporate, and it's awesome. It's um, electronics and voice. And, um, I mean, admittedly, it's been a few days since I listened to it now, but highly recommend it. Um, very immersive, um, but also a lot of, well, that's probably a gross generalisation, so I won't say it, but I find that electronic music sometimes doesn't engage long. Or electronic music with voice, I should say, as a caveat. Um, sometimes doesn't seem to engage longer form works, um, preferring the, the shorter sort of, not pop length, but like four to six, four to seven minute length. Um, but this album is full of 10 plus minute pieces. And mm. it's just really nice to hear that type of longer, it's not long form, but longer form compositional thinking in, a, in an album centered around the voice and around spoken word. Mm. I, I love that idea. Like, um, I feel like the the current vernacular is something like progressive. Yeah, is is the word. Um, but what, one of the things that I really love about music in general is when. And I was talking about this with a good friend of mine the other day, whereas I really like albums. Mm. It seems like today's music is all about the song mm. and that you, a lot of the thinking is that you want to be taken on a journey in three minutes. Whereas I don't think that's a journey. That's more like a, a trip to the shop <laughs> to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I know where I'm going. I know, I know why I'm going there. 
Yeah. Like that's, that's what I feel like modern pop is so much about. Whereas I feel like longer form music, if we, if we're going to say that or progressive music um, is all about those deviations and where, where the paths are uh, mm. along the way. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's about the journey those. as well as it's about the, the progress yeah. of the journey, not just the, the point of the journey, I guess. Not the climax. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's about taking you around a, a path that you would never um, expect to arrive at along the way. Yeah. And, and definitely that, that is a great description of this album. I, I think you'll love it. Right. Mm. Um, and I think people who are, if, if anyone's ever heard, um, Marie Gilray, who's also someone I'd re- highly recommend. I can't find any of her. I don't know if she even has any albums, Marie Gilray, that is. But she's on a couple of compilations that are available on Bandcamp um, uh, through the Institute of Sonology in the Netherlands. Um, but the, the Felicia Atkinson stuff is a bit more accessible, um, but also I just found it really beautiful. I, I, and I think you'll love it. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what the technical aspect of it is. I haven't looked into it. Um, I'd be curious to see if uh, I'll edit this out, but I'd be curious to see if you'd be up for a chat on the podcast at some stage because it's a cracker of an album. Um, yeah. I'm not sure when it came out. Um, I, I should check that. I haven't looked at any of those sorts of interesting informations. The other album that I've been listening to quite a lot um, is, and it came out in April. I just haven't had a chance to listen to it until... Um, Friday, I think, last week, is the new Tetema album, Necroscape. Um, that's T-E-T-E-M-A. The E's mm-hmm. have a line above them. I'm not sure what that um, is actually called, but it's the Tetema. Are you familiar with Tetema, Ray? Uh, no. I think cool. I may have heard them before. That seems like a familiar name, but No. Again, highly recommend it. And it's not strictly electronic. There's enough electronics in it for me to, uh, not that I really care if I'm mentioning electronic music in this particular context, but it, there is, for those diehards, that there is enough electronic stuff that follows in that lineage that you've been talking about, the, the Stockhausen type lineage. But this is an album that is, so Tetema is a project that's, this is their second album. Their first album was called Geocidal, I think. And that was um, Mike Patton, Faith No More, Mr. Bungle, yeah. uh, et cetera, and the Australian composer Anthony Pateras. Um, wow. Yeah, interesting combo. This new album adds in two other people whose names I don't remember. Um, the drummer, I don't remember, Eki Veltheim um, oh, yeah. on viola Eki's. and violin um, is, is in there as well. And, and this album is truly amazing um it's i guess you would call it progressive rock um Mm. but one of the fascinating fascinating things about this about tetema in general is it feels just at home in maybe not fully at home in contemporary classical music it's not quite there um because it is still very song based um Mm. but certainly amongst progressive rock um, or avant-garde rock or whatever you want to call it, art rock, following that Mr. Bungle or, or John Zorn's Naked City kind, kind of lineage. But also the there is so much of the contemporary classical through Pateras and, in this case, Feltheim as well. It's really cool. Um, yeah. 
I, I think Eki is Eki is among my favorite musicians ever. <laughs> yeah, I think he's amazing, isn't he? Yeah, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Mm, and I've not actually met him. Yeah, he's he's a lovely person, and in terms of like his capabilities on his instrument, it's un unfathomable how good he is at the violin <laughs> that is true yeah and i've been lucky to see him in many iterations but Same. one of the one of my favorites is him with anthony pateras and scott tinkler oh, that album is um, a that album is a cracker north by north yeah yeah, oh, yeah. i haven't seen them live but um the the album on immediata which is anthony pateras's project label thing yeah awesome yeah, that yeah, that album. I was lucky. I feel like I saw them at um, Church of All Nations yeah. in Collingwood, um, yeah. which is a surprisingly good room to see live music in. Yeah, cool. Um, I've seen I've seen a lot of gigs there. I've even been in a couple of gigs there, and it's just, uh, yeah, North by North, the Terrace and Ecky and uh, Tinkler. Tinkler. It was yeah, yeah ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, that's so. That they're my two listenings, and I'd recommend people uh, listening dive into. I mean, Mike Patton is really well known. I mean, it, like, but the dive into Mike Patton's catalogue that's beyond Faith No More. If if you haven't, um, mm. because I mean, Faith No More is great, but I feel like. Um, I mean, Mr. Bungle's probably the next most famous, but Phantomus and, and other stuff like that is just rad. It's so good. Yeah. He's, yeah, I've definitely delved into my pattern a lot. Um, him with Bjork is, you know, yep. str- strangely amazing. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it was when he was on that Bjork album, which was all voices mm. that... I really start, and I'd listened to Bungle before. I'd listened to Faith No More before, and I was just like, "Oh, I should really delve into this guy." I got into Zorn a bit, and yeah, that was sort of the Mike Patton path. But he is, you know, a vocal vocal manipulator among the best of them. Absolutely, and he's he's a fantastic creator more generally, I think, as well. Absolutely, um, and I, and I'd recommend from that Tetema Quartet, or the three that I can remember the names of. Sorry percussionist i'm sorry i don't remember your name um but the but Eki's work definitely follow that path um pateras's work follow that path and, and mike Patton's work follow that path and i'd also recommend I, I, that felicia atkinson album everything everything, yeah, everything evaporate mm-hmm. i actually delved into a bunch of her other albums as well through the same record label shelter press and um they're all really high quality so i'd, I'd definitely go down that that path as well Just- uh, just so we save face, it's Will Guthrie. Who's Will Guthrie, yes, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you. Sorry, Will, if you're listening. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> my dad. Don't don't worry. This has been the podcast of forgetting many names, that's, and that yeah. might be the title. That might be <laughs> the title as well. I like it. That's a good name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but it, it yeah it's I'm really inspired because that's such a nice lineup. Um, and something I'm really looking forward to. And Felicia Atkinson, I'm really looking forward to listening to that as you have not steered me wrong yet with your recommendations. <laughs> That's true in reverse to I, I, um, was we, we were talking about, was it a couple of weeks ago we talked about um, 
again, forgetting the names, dude with the big machines that we were chatting about the other day. Oh, Author and Punisher. Yeah, Author and Punisher. Um, you, you recommended Author and Punisher a few weeks ago, didn't you? Yeah, I think maybe on the first episode. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and I, I kind of didn't follow up on it. And I remember getting looking into his work um, maybe a month and a half, two months ago because uh, mm. I was looking for, I don't know, industrial music or something. And it's um, yeah. <laughs> awesome stuff. So, yeah, you, the, just to reiterate that, that your recommendations also don't go astray. I just might be a bit slow to follow them up sometimes. Author and Punisher is definitely, I, I was lucky enough, I didn't even know, I went and saw Tool a few months ago. Yeah. Um, and I, I was lucky to go to that. Um, I got, in, like a friend of mine got me tickets, which is incredible because I, I, I don't, like no offence to Tool or anything, I don't think I would have shelled out the, the amount of money no. to, to go see them. Um and by the time I'd realized it was all already too late and author and Punisher were the support. And I just, I'd seen, I'd seen his work, uh, not too long before that on, yeah. on online yeah. thinking to myself that, you know, Oh, this is kind of cool. Like it's, it's really interesting, but to see it live. And as you point out, they are fancy MIDI controllers, but there's something about operating it all live that feels so, visceral as well oh leading absolutely back that, leading back to that aspect of um uh, live performances more than just about the music but it is the art of live performing as well absolutely oh it's so theatrical as well yeah um yeah awesome stuff so mm. yeah 10 out of 10 on the author and punisher mm. <laughs> awesome should we wrap it up there let's do it let's do it all right Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Filtered Noise. As mentioned in the introduction, we've now got a coffee account set up and you can support us financially through that mechanism if you have the means. That address is ko-fi.com forward slash filtered noise. We will not try and sell you vitamins and appreciate any support you may offer. If you like our work, please leave us a review, subscribe, share it on social media, or get in touch. Instagram at filterednoisecast, filterednoisecast at gmail.com, and filterednoisecast.wordpress.com. The music at the start and the end is by Northern Artist Bribery. Visit instagram.com forward slash thisisbribery. Thanks for listening.